Welcome to Life Church. We are an ex 242 community, a family on a mission to bring the life of Jesus to Warrington. We hope you're ready to hear what God has to say to you today through His Word and by His Spirit. To save the confusion, I think they should make every Monday a bank holiday. And then it'd be sim- it would be simple then, wouldn't it? It'd be real simple. <laughs> um, I want to start off this morning by um, telling you a story. That's why I'm sat down, to get you to sit down in your, in your hearts and in your minds. I'm going to tell you a story. And this story, this true story, happened um, in the mid-1800s. Um, and it happened in a little town called Fayette in Maine, New England. And it was the Puritan time um, around New England. Um, so when the Puritans were about, it was, it was very, very staid, um, very religious, uh, and very controlling. And in this little town of Fayette lived a little girl called Emmeline. Emmeline uh, was around about 13 years old, lived uh, on a farm with a very large family. And uh, the family were really poor. Uh, New England at that time was really poor. They were all farmers. Um, And there came to town some guys from Massachusetts that had built some very large cotton and wool mills. And they were looking for uh, particularly young children to work in these cotton mills. And so um, they entered Emmeline's house. They approached her parents, the family, and said, you know, this would be an ideal opportunity uh, for Emmeline to work uh, in the mills. She would make money for herself and she would make enough money uh, to send home to help with the family finances. Um, and it was a great opportunity. It's the first time recorded, really, where women had uh, been given the power to uh, have a purse in their back pocket, so to speak. And so the family agreed um, that they would release Emmeline. Uh, and so she went off to Massachusetts to work in these cotton mills. She was quite lonely in this place. She was quite a quiet girl, a very pretty little girl. Um, but being brought up in the area that she was, um, she was quite proper. And, and so she was quite lonely. And her young boss um, had taken a liking to her. And he um, continually um, making advances towards her, um, eventually um, had a relationship and she became pregnant at the age of 14. Now, she obviously knew that back home, family would be absolutely devastated um, about this. They'd be absolutely devastated that their daughter had done such a thing. So the family that she was staying with um, agreed um, that they would sell her baby to a young couple that were in the town, um, that were childless, and that they would give her enough money for the baby and enough money for her transportation back home. And that's what happened. 
And so she had the baby, the baby was sold. She went back home and she just went to work on the farm. And so that's what she did. She worked on the farm um, most of her life. And then around about 21, her family were a bit concerned that she wasn't um, finding a marriage because at that time, you know, they would expect um, their daughters to be married. And so at the age of 21, mum and dad were fearing that she was just going to be an old maid, as they called them back then. Um, but she was just shunning every, every man that made advances towards her, not knowing, the family not knowing the damage that had been done to her and what had happened in her past. She got to around about 30 and her family were really concerned about her and why she was shunning every advance off. And a young man came to town uh, to build highways and her parents agreed that, uh, that he could lodge in their house. Uh, it would bring a little bit of financing. And so this young man lodged in the family home and he fell in love with Emmeline. Emmeline was a little bit older than him, but that didn't stop him falling in love with her, and she fell in love with him. And shortly after, they got married and built a little house uh, and lived by one of the ponds that were around Maine at that time. And a year into the marriage, uh, his family came to visit them, uh, to just spend some time with them. And during that visit, her, his family found out that actually she was his mother. And there was absolute devastation um, in that house. And her, his mother, mum and dad, um, immediately annulled the relationship. And obviously the family, uh, the, uh, Town got to know, her parents got to know, so um, the parents of the young man um, snatched him away, took him away um, back to uh, Massachusetts and left her. And what had happened to Emmeline is that she got absolutely shunned by the town. She got ostracised, nobody was allowed to speak to her, she was banned from the family home and the little cottage where she lived just by the pond uh, there, she could almost see the family home from where she lived. And she went through the rest of her life shunned and ostracised and made to feel guilty and pay the penalty for what she had done wrong. And she lived a very difficult and hard life. She had to grow all her own food because she was not welcome in any shops in any part of the town. So she had to make and grow all of her food. And life was really tough for her. She remembers the time when her mum had passed away and she wasn't allowed to attend the funeral. And she looked out of a little window as her mum's coffin went past not allowed to even say her farewells. During a real harsh winter, 
Um, she was not able to grow any food. She was not able to look after herself. And during that winter, um, she fell very, very poorly. And there was a young man that was on his way to a local town. Uh, and he used to pop in every now and again, out of sight of everybody else, and drop Emmeline just some little bits of food and bits and pieces off, and hadn't seen her all winter. And he went in uh, and just heard some faint groans behind the door, and he bashed the door in, and, and she lay on the floor there. He picked her up very gently, put her on the bed, and she died. It's a real sad story. So he came to a funeral, and... A family attended the funeral, those that had ostracized her, those that had had nothing to do with her, came to the funeral. And they just put her in a wooden box because during the time, latter time of her life, she had to register as a pauper because she was that poor. History tells us actually she was not buried in the graveyard. She was buried on the road outside the graveyard because she was a pauper. So they made her just a very simple wooden box and they had the funeral. And right at the end of the funeral, her sister stood up and she put her hand on the casket, on the little wooden box, and she put one hand in the air and she said, at last, she has paid for her sin. And I tell you that story because part of our Hebrews series that we're looking at this morning, I'm looking at Hebrews chapter 10, where it talks about God paying the price for our sin. And the reason why I tell that story is that she lived her whole life ostracized, shunned, no relationship, and lonely because of what she had done. And that very often is a, is a very real life picture of how we can live as Christians thinking that we have to somehow pay, sort out our sin, whereas Hebrews tells us that it was done once and for all. And we say that, and we sort of believe it because the Bible says it, but it doesn't drop from the pages into the deep places of our hearts and our minds. And subconsciously, we are always aware of our sinfulness and our wrongdoing and the fact that we're not good enough. And, and we, we sometimes find it hard to look to God and to pray to God because there's still this barrier that somehow our wretchedness and our sin and our iniquity are still separating us. And I spent a lot of my Christian experience, and this topic is very close to my heart, because of 
some teaching and belief systems and the way we were treated, uh, particularly uh, in the churches that I grew up in, that we were always challenged about where we were not, always challenged about what we should be, and so always conscious of our sin and our shortfall. And the sad thing is, I lived a lot of my Christian experience like Emmeline. Feeling shunned, feeling away from God because of the way I saw myself. And I'm hoping this morning that this will help you to understand where God has placed us as believers. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. Let's read it together there. Christ sacrificed once and for all. The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. So in the Old Testament, once a year, you carried your sacrifice, whether it was a lamb, a turtle dove, or a ram, or whatever it was, you would take that sacrifice once a year, and everything you'd done wrong that year, what would happen was you'd give that to the priest, the priest would lay his hands on it, and he would transfer the sins that you've done onto that sacrifice, and then slit its throat. It's quite a gory place, church, back then. <laughs> and so your sin was paid for. But all during that year, you would be carrying the consciousness of your shortfall and your sin and the stuff that's wrong. And here it says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. God had a better plan. A dim preview of the good things to come. Not only the things themselves, the sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. But they were not able to, prov to provide perfect cleansing for those who had come to worship. That's what disturbed God, is that they came, they were cleansed, that your sin was put on that animal, but it didn't last. The people probably by the time they got home had probably spanked the kids and probably shouted at the wife and kicked the dog and, and you know, everything else was going wrong. And so probably before they even got back home, they were ready to, to go back to the priest. And it says it didn't provide perfect cleansing. So that tells me that the plan that God had in mind was to provide perfect cleansing. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. So if this old system worked, it would have stopped, but it didn't. For the worshippers would have been purified once and for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Now listen to this carefully. If it worked, the feelings of their guilt would have disappeared. But they didn't. They carried the feeling. And this is 
what the message is about this morning, that not carrying that feeling of guilt, that feeling of shortfall, that feeling that you're not enough, that feeling that you're not good enough, that you've not improved enough. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them, reminded them of their sins year after year. This was clearly not good enough for God. God is into your mental health. There's a lot about mental health at the moment. I want to tell you, God was the first one that was into mental health. And he knew that carrying this load is not good for mental health. And God has got your back this morning. And I hope that you hear what he has to say to you. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It just did not do it. That is why when Christ, that is why Christ came into the world. You will not gain access to God by being good. We gain access to God this morning because of his blood and because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. That is the only thing that qualifies anybody from being in relationship with God. Hebrews 8.13 says this, By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. He has made the first one obsolete. And it's now outdated and disappeared. But the question to us this morning is, has it disappeared? Has the old system in our minds and in our hearts disappeared? Or are we still carrying that load of guilt and shame with us? Emmeline had constant reminders in her life of what she had done wrong. She was only 14 years old. She, she was lonely. She probably, she probably didn't know what she was doing. And this guy, her boss, probably felt the most comfortable thing to her. And yet that one thing that she had done changed the whole of her life and carried the pain of that. That is not God's plan for you and I. And we need to dial down the voices, get rid of the voices that want to remind us and separate us and shun us from God. And this happened in the Galatian church. They had come out of Judaism, they'd come out of all the old system, and then somebody had crept back into the church. They'd all heard the gospel, they'd all put their hands up, they'd all walked to the front, they'd all done everything that they should do, and they started their life off knowing that their sins were forgiven, and then people came into the church and wanted to bring back the law. And this is what is said in Galatians. It says, oh foolish Galatians, who has cast this evil spell on you? For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as you had seen a, a, a great picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? 
Of course not. Did you receive your salvation by obeying the law of Moses? No. You received the Holy Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Jesus. How foolish can you be? After starting your lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? And that's what happens. People talk sometimes about the, um, the uh, honeymoon period of the Christian life. And, and very often the honeymoon period finishes is because we, we try then by our own human effort to become right with God. Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you and because you obey the law? Of course not. It is because you believe the message that you heard about Christ. So he's saying there, do you think it's about you doing the right thing? About you being right? About you being saying, look how well I'm doing? He's saying, of course not. It always will remain that it's because of the blood of Jesus that you have access to God. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we were all prisoners of sin. So how we receive God's promise so we receive God's promise of freedom by believing in Jesus Christ. So it's important that however old we are in our faith that we always understand that it's not by our own effort it's not the fact that we're doing well now and that I've overcome that 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 sin of of pornography or I've overcome that sin of, of smoking or I've overcome that sin of slander and gossip and I'm, I'm doing quite well now and, and I can actually approach God because actually I'm, I'm getting a grip of things. If we start going down that road, it leads us down to all kinds of, of guilt problems and relationship problems with God because we do not gain access and privilege to God because we are behaving ourselves. That is the bottom line. And people will criticise me for preaching like this because they're saying, pastor, preacher, so what are you saying then? That we can do what we want and we still remain in relationship with God? Well, I can answer that actually and say yes. <laughs> yes. But there's another side to it all as well. But we don't lose our salvation. In fact, I'm preaching on the 4th of June, which is... A topic on from this so we'll we'll use this as a base for what we'll look at in the 4th of June in a few weeks time so we we must make sure that we do not have a faulty understanding of our standing with God knowing how God sees you when God looks at you this morning, he does not see you. He sees the blood of his son. What did we just sing before? What can wash away my sin? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. And that's what he sees. He doesn't see my good behavior. He doesn't see how well I'm doing in my prayer life. He doesn't see how well I'm doing controlling certain elements of my life. He sees the blood. And that's what gives me boldness to come before the throne of grace. But I started going down a road that I only came boldness before God when I got control of areas of my life. And I felt that I had the right to speak to God. I had the right to pray. I had the right to, to commune with God. And there'd be many times that I would run and I would hide. And that's what the topic is on the 4th of June about Adam and Eve and the fact that they had to hide from God and what goes on in, in, in that relationship. So we'll look at that. But he sees the blood of Christ. And that's the only reason why we are in relationship with him. Knowing where he has placed you. The Bible says clearly that he has seated you right next to Jesus Christ in heaven. You are seated in heavenly places. That's where you are seated this morning. What God has put in place for you to be in relationship with him is that his blood has paid for your sin. The Bible says, uh, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember the, their sins no more. It's impossible for God to remember your sin. Did you hear that? It's impossible. He cannot remember your sin. He says, the scriptures say that he has separated you as far as the east is from the west. They never meet. That's how far he has separated you from your past, present and future. And that's the gift of God to you. I need to move on quickly. I've nearly had me half an hour. Let's put this first slide on. Who's, who likes the repair shop? Yep. Showing your age now. Um, here's a picture of a chair that's been restored. So when you look at that picture, put you in that chair. That is God's view of you. You are perfect. You've been restored. You've been repaired. You've been made beautiful. You've been made back into and restored into everything that you should have been. That's God's view of you this morning. Number two. That very often is our view of ourselves. That we see ourselves worn out, overused, A mess. Messed up. Scarred. Ripped. Torn. Because we live with ourselves. We know everything in our head. We know what we've done. We know we're, what we're like. We know how our, how our heart works. We know how our mind works. And we're too aware of that. But God said, that's okay. And that's our view of ourselves. 
But the gift of God to you this morning is this next picture. That's God's gift to you. That we live this life covered, but knowing underneath that we have been repaired and that we've been restored. But it's yet to be revealed. So we live in hope. And those two ladies there just know. They just know because they've watched other series. They've watched other elements, uh, other um, goods being restored. So they know full well that what they're going to see is something beautiful. And I think that that is God's gift to you and I. That, that underneath, it's all been restored and it's repaired. And at the last, we'll be revealed for who we are. And if we live with that mentality that I know I'm not everything I should be, and I know what that old chair used to look like, I know that it was battered, I know it was scratched, I know it was damaged, I know it was worn out, but I know under that cloth there is a brand new chair that has been restored by somebody else. And I want to say this one, that's a picture of your life, that you have been restored. You probably can't quite see it yet. And as you go to places like with Mark on a Thursday, you'll get some great Bible study and great understanding, because I can't do it this morning. Not, not just in the morning, I can't do it. I'm only doing this to inspire you, to get your juices going. And for you to think, okay, there's more, there's more to this Christian life than what I have. And that we live with this consciousness that what was before has now somehow gone. It's been covered with the blood of Jesus and I've been made right with God. And slowly but surely, it will be revealed for who we are. And if we have this sort of thinking and mentality, then it's a great foundation to be in relationship with God. Because God wants us to live and to grow from this vantage point. Not from always being aware of what we're not and where we're not, but being aware that he has paid the price and that before him we stand clean and we stand made right. So when, it, so when external voices come and influences come and things are said to us that we realise that, no, that's not me. When voices come that say you're an under, underachiever or that you're not good enough or you don't pray enough or you don't read enough. I had all that kind of stuff going on at me. In fact, just at the Par Hall a few weeks ago when... Um, J. John was there. I was sat next to a young lady and I was just chatting to her. And I said, which church do you go? She said, I don't go to any church at the moment. She said, the church that I was at, um, I was told that I needed to uh, commit myself more. She was on shift work. She worked for the, I think it's the NHS uh, or something similar. And she was on shift work and she couldn't commit. But this pressure was put on her by this church. And so she just felt guilty. She felt that she wasn't good enough. She felt that, um, that you know, she needed to make this commitment in order to be accepted. Yeah. And she just said, you know what, I, I ju I just, I've just pulled away. 
And do you know what? The church are great at putting rules and regulations on people. Because it helps leaders control people. And I'm glad that we're in a church, and I'm not just saying it because Lucas is sat here. Um, I'm getting to know the guy more and more. And, and, and we, don't put, we try not to put rules and regulations on people because I know that they're killers. Because God now works from the heart. He says he's took out a heart of stone and put a heart of flesh on. And he writes the rules in here. So he'll write the rule in my heart. It's not good to smoke. It's not good to drink. It's not good to have sex before marriage. It's not good to take these drugs. It's not good to be in this relationship. He writes them in our heart. But what we as Christians find it hard to take is that we're watching somebody behaving like that and saying, well, how can they be in relationship with God? I tell you, they can just as much as I can. Just that my sin's probably got a little bit more, I can, I can hide mine a little bit more. I've got a little bit more better at it. Smokers didn't half when I was 17, 18, 19, got hit in the church. Sorry, I, I'm, I am going to finish in a couple of minutes. But smokers definitely got hit in the church I was in. And if you were a smoker, you felt awful. Um, because every sermon was about something that you were doing, something you were doing wrong, and you always felt challenged, and part of it was so that they had a big line, and we all, always used to have a massive big prayer line, uh, because that's because we made everyone feel guilty. So they had to come out like they do to the priest. And that's the sad part of it, we were just probably like the Catholics, and making people come to the confessional every Sunday morning, because we mentioned the obvious things. I wish back then that I was, had the understanding I had now because I'd get all the gossipers out and I'd, I'd go out and have a fag with the, with the other guys. Get all the gossipers out and all the ones that really do the damage, the sin that really does um, offend people and damage people. God's heart, I'm going to miss out a load of stuff. God's heart is to move you from feeling like a failure to a winner. That's God's heart. That you would leave this morning from feeling a failure to feeling a winner. Now you might not be a winner at the moment, but in God's eyes, under the cloth, you're a winner. It just needs working out. And God's okay with that, you know. God's okay with that. He's cool with that. It's just other people in the town that are not. God, God's plan was to put you in pole position. To put you in a place where you can thrive and that you can grow and that's why he brought in this new agreement, this new covenant, because the old was never good enough. I'm going to ask my two lovely assistants, or one lovely assistant, she's going to come around with a little gift I've got for you this morning. I want you to take it with you. Oh, Lucas is my other lovely assistant. It's a little mirror in the shape of a heart. 
You can either write on the back of it, write a scripture, write your name, or you can peel the sticky off and stick it somewhere. But I want you, every time you look into that mirror, is not to see the failure and the sin and the shame and the guilt. But when you look into that mirror, I want you to see you, how God sees you. And let it become a practice in your life. Let it sink into your heart the real truth of where God has placed and seated you this morning. You're not a failure. You are not a showstopper. You are not to carry your sin. You're not to carry your guilt. Whatever happened yesterday and in the past has gone. Whatever has happened this morning has gone. Whatever is going to happen this afternoon has gone. Whatever is going to happen this week has gone. And when we start living from, from that perspective and with that hope of the cloth over that chair image, that we live with that hope, what that does, it gives you the energy and the wherewithal to fight those issues in your life. Because you're fighting them from a stance of being a winner. That these things are not stopping me getting close to God. These things are, are things that I know that I need to make adjustments in my life. But rather than fighting from feeling guilty and horrible over them, we're fighting them from a positive stance. Knowing that we've already got the medal. Knowing that we've already got the, we've been, we're over the finishing line. What my life is doing now is playing catch up with the finished work. And that's why we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We've come to the end of this week's message. We hope you've been impacted and inspired. Keep up to date with everything that's happening by visiting our website at www.lifechurchwarranty.com. Oh,